The Mac Observer's Mac Geek app number 270 for Monday, June 28th, 2010. Greetings, sports, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I am Dave Hamilton. From Fairfield, Connecticut, is John F. Braun, st- storm-ridden, though, though it looks like it passed. Oh, good. It, it's uh, coming for you, I think. Well, I think a different one's coming for me. But uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, you know. All right. Uh, Enough about the weather. We should just, uh, boy, we, uh, as usual, we got a boatload of stuff here. We so. do. Yeah, yeah. The Cool Stuff Found show was good. You know, I have to say, uh, in the eating your own dog food category, this weekend I used Lucy Phone. Uh, to call mm-hmm. AT&T, I had to had to call him about my microcell. There was some weird stuff going on. And I knew that, you know, AT&T might be a little overloaded this weekend um, because of the whole, you know, iPhone launch and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I used Lucy phone and whole time really wasn't that bad. It was about 20 minutes on hold. But uh, the cool part was I, you know, I went to Lucy phone. I put in AT&T's phone number. I put in mine. It called me. I navigated through the AVR system. And then once I was there. Uh, I hit star star and Lucy hung up on me and then, you know, 20, 25 minutes later, the phone rang and I picked it up and the guy on the other end said, hi, it's so-and-so from AT&T. And I got to listen to it. I got to have it like call me so I can hear what it tells the, uh, the person when they come on the line. But, but he was really pleasant about it. So it must be something good that, you know, he's like, this is pretty cool. I mean, he was asking me about the tech and I'm like, well, yeah, it's the first time I've used it, but, uh, but it sure seems like a good thing. Oh, all right. So Lucy does, uh, uh, tells the person on the other end what's happening. So they, they don't hang up on you. I would imagine. So clearly. Yeah. Because the guy knew more than, than, uh, than I had certainly told him since I hadn't told him anything. So yeah, yeah. He was, he was aware. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Uh, all right. You know, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's do our first sponsor while we're here. AudioEngineUSA.com is the home of Audio Engine and all of their products. They've got speakers, they've got wireless adapters, they've got all sorts of stuff. Uh, but these guys really, really get sound. And, uh, and they've built two sets of speakers, uh, primarily the A5s and the A2s. The A5s are what they call bookshelf speakers, and I'd agree. They're, uh, they're, you know, about 10 inches tall, maybe eight inches wide and deep, uh, two speakers with, or two enclosures, each with two speakers inside them, a tweeter and a woofer, big bass port on the back on, they are, they are self-powered in that there is an amplifier in one of them, uh, that then powers the other on the one that has an amplifier. There's also an, uh, AC out jack so that you could plug an airport express in there or whatever you like. Uh, these speakers sound absolutely fantastic. The sound is huge that comes out of these things. Uh, they betray their size, as do their, what I'll call their little brothers, the A2s, the desktop speakers. Same concept, just a little bit smaller. Uh, these don't have the AC outlet, but otherwise it's pretty much the same deal. And, uh, and they're really small. I mean, they're, you know, they're little desktop speakers, but again, totally betray their size. They're much bigger sound. Uh, than you would expect out of these things. They come in black or in white. Uh, you can get them at AudioEngineUSA.com. Now, the A5s are $349 a pair, and the A2s are $199 a pair. But if you uh, if you use the coupon code 
of MGG10, M-G-G-T-E-N, you get 10% off the purchase price and they give you what they call a 30-day free audition, meaning they'll send you the hardware, you pay for it, of course, up front. They send you the, the speakers, get them, you try them out. If within 30 days you've decided that you don't like them, send them back, they'll send you all your money back. Uh, so they are that confident that you are going to want to keep these things. So audioengineusa.com. And with that, John, let's dive in and uh, and talk about Dan and his trash can, shall we? We shall. All right. Dan writes, I recently uninstalled VMware Fusion as I found that I was using a Windows VM that I had a lot less, if at all, from when I'd first gotten it. All right. Uh, I took off VMware by simply deleting it from my apps folder. I have AppTrap installed, which comes up and finds any additional support files that may be associated with an app when you try to delete it. I'd said to delete those files as well. I'd also deleted the virtual machines folder. Then I tried emptying the trash and instead of emptying it, I get a message saying the operation could not be completed with an error code negative 8003. I've done some Googling and tried various things in terminal to no avail. Any help would be greatly appreciated. All right. So there's a couple things to talk about here, John, right? One is emptying the trash. Uh, There's, there's a couple of different ways to do it. Um, and, and, and then there's some discussion about whether or not these ways make any difference. I, I have always in the past, whenever I've had trouble emptying the trash, I've always done it with the option key down. Now, maybe that's a holdover from me in the OS nine days when it would force delete things. Uh, but, uh, but that's the first thing I always try. Okay. I, I didn't, I, I looked through and, and we linked to this in, in uh, the earlier show, but uh, yeah. there's a whole slew of, um, you know, keyboard shortcuts in OS 10. And I, I didn't see one that defined what option empty trash does. Well, it, it, you know, if you open, if you, if you're in the finder and you hold down the, and, and you go float over the finder menu, uh, you can see the empty trash out there and it has the a little ellipses at the end, which means you're going to get a dialogue. If you hold down the option key, those ellipses go away, uh, which I believe tells us that there will be no dialogue. It will simply perform the operation. And in OS 10, maybe that's all there is. Maybe again, in OS nine, holding down the option key would kind of force it to empty some things that were locked, I believe. Um, but, uh, but you know, maybe, maybe that's no longer, maybe that's no longer the case in OS 10. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, I did find a few here, okay. uh, but I have more thoughts, but, but anyway, so the ones that they do uh, officially support, and this I typically do. So when I delete something in the finder, I'll typically do a command delete on a file. And that's a shortcut for putting something in the trash. Sure. What I will also do is, um, you know, in the interest of speed, is rather than going to the menu, shift command delete will empty the trash. And then maybe what you're doing invokes as well, but option shift command delete will empty the trash without a confirmation. That's exactly right. That's exactly okay. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so now I noticed one thing that he did not say he did, and this may be a part of the problem. Yep. Um, he didn't say that he restarted after doing this. Good point. And I think in the end, that is actually what solved Dan's problem. Yes. Uh, because we did, we got a note back from Dan that said he tried it again and it just magically worked. Uh, so, yeah. So, you know, what can happen is an app and it could be not the main app, but maybe a, a supporting little demon that goes along with the app or something has an active hold on a file. And yes. if you try to delete it, it you know, it, it normally, and you pointed this out in the pre-show, John, Normally, the uh, the app, the OS will tell you, you know, there's a hold on that file. But 
in this case, maybe whatever had the hold on it was also in the trash, right? Was that your, that, you, you um, were saying something about that. What I have noticed is that, and I believe this is new in Snow Leopard. I, I don't recall seeing this in Leopard, but if you try to get rid of something, uh, I think the behavior is different if it's in the trash, but if you try to mess with something that has a hold on it, uh, I've seen a message, and uh, well, I'll have to dig it up and see if it's in a knowledge base article, but it'll say, whoa, I, I, you can't touch this file because somebody's somebody owns it. or so, Yeah, as you said, somebody has a owns it or has a lock on it, and... Um, you know, the, the OS, uh, as, as it should, will not let you delete files that are, you know, used by an active process that right. <laughs> could lead to all sorts of disasters. So, um, right. so yeah, so, so, so I think, um, so I've seen the OS usually identify that as a problem. Now, I don't, I don't know what 8000 or negative 8003 means. And actually, whoever keeps using these numerical error codes, I think should get a dope slap because that, I hate those. Man. I agree with you. Yeah. You know, like, say, uh, you know, file is owned by process, whatever. Yes. And then maybe you can quit that process and then it'll, it'll let you throw it away. So, so that's one option. But then Dave, you're now, this is where you got to roll up your sleeves and kind of put on your propeller beanie to do this. Well, uh, you get but, to, you get to skip your propeller beanie for one option, which is an app called hmm. trash it ah, uh, yes. from no name script, script where no name script where.com. Uh, they, it, this app is built to do probably a lot of the things we're about to talk about and tell you how to do in the terminal, but uh, but it does them with a GUI interface, and many people have reported excellent success with you know being able to empty their trash uh, with this app. That other things have just you know other methods have not worked. So so definitely try trash it. But there is always the terminal, and the command that I like to use, and I think we're going to have a little discussion over this, John, is the rm command, which I think you'll use too. Uh, I use rm and and. You got to be very careful with the RM command, because if you invoke it incorrectly, meaning if you point it at the wrong file or series of files, you can get yourself into pretty big trouble. So what I what I do is RM space dash R, which tells it to delete directories too, making it even more dangerous space. And then I use the tilde for home slash dot capital T trash slash star. And what that'll do is it'll empty the contents of the trash, even if they're folders, and it'll just delete them. There's no going back on any of this. Once you remove something with RM, you're gone. Uh, if that doesn't work, and it should, but if it doesn't, putting sudo in front of it, uh, S-U-D-O, will, will do it. I've got this flag to go up as an MGG Answers article, so once John and I finish talking about it, I'll put it on the list, and and uh, and we'll have this on the site so that you'll be able to see it uh, instead of having to you know transcribe what we're what we're writing to you here. So, but John, you, you had some thoughts about this. Well, the, the, the one thing that I like to use in addition, and actually it's really better that you don't, but I typically like to do dash F R. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. F and I'm looking here at the manual page. So, uh, yeah, F, F forces F, it to delete things. That's true. Well, well, F, what they say on the manual page here is actually attempt to remove the files without prompting for confirmation, regardless of permissions. Right. If the file does not exist. In right. the, but right. yeah, F right. is, a, is an additional right. option. So anyways, usually I, I rarely type just dash R. Now, the only thing where I'm going to disagree with you, Dave, and, and this is just my practice, is that I'm very uncomfortable putting any sort of extended path in the uh, when I do a RM. I much prefer to be in the directory where the files exist because, of course, the terminal will typically show you what directory you're in. 
So if you change to a different directory, you will see at the prompt, in addition to the machine name, you're going to see the directory that you're in. Yeah, you, you know, the and I, I, it's interesting because I wrote, as I was writing this email to Dan, I wrote it up that way. I said, change to the trash directory and then delete from there. And I, and I stopped myself and I thought, no, we're better off just telling RM exactly what we want to delete. That way, if if you, you know, fat finger the directory change command or uh, or or you simply forget to do it you're not going to wind up deleting the contents of whatever directory you happen to be in as a result of, of forgetting or screwing something up. So that was my mm -hmm. thinking on that is let's be okay. very specific, regardless of where we are, let's be specific about what we're deleting. And that that's, that's my thought. That's my thought for, for giving advice to someone else doing it on my own. I would do exactly what you said, John, I would, I would change the directory and do it. And like I said, that's what I wrote up first. But as far as giving advice, it's like, no, wait a minute, let's, Let's let's break this down into its simplest component. Less steps is better. And this mm -hmm. way it's much safer because you're not just typing, you know, otherwise you'd be typing RM dash R or dash FR space star. It just doesn't feel right to give somebody that advice without, you know, a big, long page of legalese warning them. Right. You know. Yeah. So. Well, my thought is what you would do beforehand is you would be changing to the So you'd be doing a CD to the directory that has what you yeah. want to get rid of before you do the RM command. So you kind of break it up into little bite-sized pieces. I don't think either way is right or wrong. It's it's just a different way of approaching it. Yeah. All right. Cool. Let's move on to uh, let's move on to Steven. So Steven says, I have a MacBook Pro. I've been running Leopard and I'm in the process of upgrading to Snow Leopard. One roadblock is getting my laser printer to work. I have set up set up my laser printer on a Linksys EPS X3 print server, and I have all protocols enabled. On the Leopard OS, I connect via Apple Talk, but Apple removed this in Snow Leopard. I cannot find any method to connect to the print server. I can share this from a Windows XP box, connects to the XP shared printer from Snow Leopard, so in a slingshot method I can still print, but I do not like to share printers this way. I agree. I wouldn't want to share printers that way either because it requires yet another device to be turned on. Uh, so I, I took a look at the manual for this thing, John, and it's a, it's a, it's an ethernet print server box, uh, which adds print sharing, printer sharing capability, network printer sharing capability to, uh, any number of printers that are out there. You have to install the drivers on your computer for the printer, but, and you also have to find a way to connect to this print server box. So my guess is that even though this printer doesn't support Bonjour, uh, it or this print server, but doesn't support Bonjour. It does support printing via IP. Uh, so chances are you're going to be able to, to get there by going to system preferences, print and fax. Uh, we're assuming it's not going to show up in the default pane. Uh, so move to the IP pane and then type in the IP address of the print server box, which is the same IP address you access in your web browser when you're configuring the box. Uh, at that point, you should be able to leave the rest blank, uh, except for the bottom where you're going to choose on uh, the print using menu. You're going to choose the driver for your printer and you're going to have to navigate through and, and either find that driver if it's already installed or install it and, and then put it out there. In theory, I think that's going to work just fine because the defaults are probably what's going to work with this particular box. Um, John, you, you've used some of these before, too. In fact, I think you up until recently were still using one, right? Um, well, my setup, and so it's not clear to me the capabilities of this printer, and I'm not sure if this print server is just a print server, if it's also a router. No, it's just a print server. Okay, uh, so here's a, so I'll tell you what, what I do, and, and this could be an option in either case. Um, 
So actually my setup here, so I have two printers. So one, I have an inkjet that's plugged into my time capsule and I get to that, I think, yeah, through Bonjour because it makes it available. It's a USB printer that I have plugged into the time capsule. Right. But I also have a laser printer. Now the way that I get to that, I do not have a print server. Um, but, but, but I think what, what I'm going to suggest may work in either case is that I actually connect directly to this printer. Now, the downside is that, from what I recall, it does not show up. If I try to go to, you know, where you suggested and try to, you know, surf for an IP printer, it's not going to show up and see it. Because you it doesn't support Bonjour. Uh, right. It would right. have, if, if your printer's, and it, it sounds like your your issue is, even though it's all baked into your printer as opposed to the printer in a box mm-hmm. like Steven has, it sounds like your issue is the same. Uh, your printer supports Apple Talk, an older protocol that's now deprecated and unsupported, but not Bonjour, which is the new way of having it appear magically in that list. Right. But well, my printer, and I'm suspecting this print server or the printer itself. So, so that's why I was asking what type of printer it is. Is that in my case, what I have is I have the printer plugged into my time capsule as an Ethernet device. Right. And so what I do is I will go to, to the same dialog box and it'll have IP come up as one of the choices. And then what you have to do is you can define it. And there's, there's three protocols in there. I think there's an HP protocol, which is specifically HP. I don't think there's an HP printer, but if it is, right. uh, I think it's called HP jet direct. And then there are two other choices there. There's one called uh, LPT or LPR LPR. Yep. LPR line printer. And that's an older, uh, I think an older TCP IP based protocol. I think it, it lives on port 515. And then there's a third choice, which is IPP. I guess that's Internet Printing Protocol. Yep. And that, I think, is on port 631. So, so those are the three choices when you choose an IP printer. Um, and the dialogues are, are all pretty much the same. I think in the, in the LPR one, it'll say, you know, what's the IP address? That's the most important part. It'll ask for the name of the queue, which typically I don't think you put anything in there. And then you add the printer and you try to print a page and you, you'll know pretty quickly if it works or not. And that, that's what I do. I mean, I have an old, I mean, this is like a, you know me, I mean, this is like a 10 year old laser printer, but it supports LPR uh, just fine. All all my Mac software is just, you know, happily talking to it. It doesn't know or care that it's a IP printer. So, so uh, I don't know if you should connect either to, so again, I'm going to suggest he either tries to connect to the print server using LPR or IPP and see if it supports that, or plug the printer into his router if it is Ethernet, and try the, those same choices. And I think between all of those, I mean, one of those has got to work. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Cool. Well, hopefully that, uh, hopefully that takes care of it. Shall we, uh, shall we move on to Nicole? Do you have any stories to tell us before we do this, John? No. no, no. Okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah, you want me to tell you a story? No, 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 no. I just, you know, sometimes I like to ask. Uh, okay. So, so Nicole writes, when I have multiple programs open, I like to use command tab to toggle cycle through them. However, sometimes when I toggle to an open program, I don't get an application window. I can see the program name up in the top left change to the appropriate program. However, in order to actually view the window that I previously worked in, I have to do all kinds of things depending on the program. In mail, I click window inbox in Safari, file new tab, address book, forget it, iCal view, go to today. I know I can solve this by going down to the dock and clicking the app I want, but I like to avoid the mouse if possible. I should note that this happens even when I'm using the app in question and I have not minimized the window before toggling elsewhere. Uh, 
And I should also note that it doesn't always happen and I can't figure out the pattern. Okay. So this is an interesting thing because the behavior that Nicole describes here is exactly what will happen using the command tab application switcher. If you don't have windows open and Mm -hmm. I got given that Nicole is saying that she doesn't know when it happens, I'm going to have to resort back to uh, something that I, 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 relied upon a lot mm. with Occam's razor, which is you know, when doing consulting, which was Occam's razor. When somebody says, you know, but sometimes even though I've left the w- window open, uh, when I go back, it's gone, but it's not consistent. And I don't know about it. Uh, and, and I don't mean to, to be dismissive here, but I usually dismissed those kind of statements because uh, chances, chances, and, and not always though, sometimes there was, there was good reason for this. But uh, but chances are, if somebody says, well, it definitely happens this way, but I don't know when uh, usually that was just some user confusion. And again, I don't mean to be dismissive here, but uh, but that that's my that that's what what uh, years of consulting kind of taught me to do. <laughs> uh, so so uh, assuming that it's not happening when if you leave a window open in an app and up, not minimized, not hidden, you know, none of that's actually even hidden should be fine. Um, but uh, but, you know, if you if you leave a window open in an app and you come back to it with the application switcher, that window should be brought to the front. Uh, but if you close all the windows of an app, go elsewhere and then come back to that app with the application switcher, it will not open a new window. That will only happen if you switch back to it from the dock. So we started thinking here, and one of the things that came up was Keyboard Maestro uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it has its own application switcher. Now, unfortunately, its application switcher works exactly like Apple's in this regard. So that wasn't the solution. But there is a way you could just write a little Apple script. Um, and we talked to to uh, Peter Lewis at Stairway Software, who uh, is the, the company that makes Keyboard Maestro. And you could create a keystroke that sends a little Apple script that says, tell the frontmost app to come alive. And then it will cause any one of these actions. In fact, it would be exactly the same as just clicking on the icon in the dock. So you could link that to the uh, to the keyboard switcher, but you could also just link it to uh, to its own little command and, and just do a keyboard command and boom, up comes that window. That should work regardless of how you got there, even if you did get there because the the window that should have been there disappeared. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was struggling this because I was looking for. So, so, of course, you know, command tab does a forward rotation among your apps. The, the, I, I was trying to see if there was somehow some keyboard combination that in addition to switching apps would close uh, a window. I couldn't find one. The only the, the only thing I saw that was a little different is that, you know, if you do command shift tab, that'll do an app rotation in reverse. Right. Well, you can also do command Q in that list and that will cause an app to quit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, again, that's yeah, there's I, I haven't found a way to close a window from uh, from being there. Uh, although, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me... Uh, well, I mean, Command W closes a window, but I, I doubt that that's occurring. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Intentionally, anyway. Yeah. So I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of baffled. I mean, one thing, you know, you, you could try to create a new user and, and see if this behavior 
Um, let's go with it that it is happening as stated. Sure. And, and th- there may have been some utility, keyboard master or otherwise, that's installed that is, you know, performing this kind of non-traditional, you know, window closing behavior when, when you rotate among right. applications um, right. is my only guess. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stumped because, yeah, I mean, the, the, the normal behavior is, is to leave things as it was. Yeah. But even if it is happening that way, regardless, if you're going into an app from the keyboard, from the app switcher via the keyboard and it's not doing, you know, it's not bringing the window forward, whether it should have or not, uh, you could use something like keyboard maestro to write a little Apple script. And um, maybe that's, that's another one we'll post up on the site because it's uh, it's better. It's better written than, than read. Uh, but, but essentially you write, you write a little Apple script that says, tell the frontmost app to come alive and, uh, and boom, it it'll it'll do whatever that action would be had you clicked on its dock icon. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely very cool. All right, David has an interesting interesting mm-hmm. issue. Okay, so David says I use Keynote every couple of weeks for presentations in my job. I hook my MacBook up to an external projector, video only. I use an Interlink handheld remote controller because I usually have to stand across the room. For months, I never had any trouble. Lately, I've noticed that when I use Keynote and display through the projector, the laptop screen becomes extremely distorted. It doesn't affect the projected image. I can still run the presentation to the audience. But if I need to blank the big screen or otherwise look at the laptop screen to do something, I can't because there's no making out what's on the little screen. It becomes an unrecognizable blur of horizontal lines. Uh... Here are my other clues. The laptop screen doesn't begin to do this until after Keynote is started in presentation mode. In other words, the screen is fine if I've hooked it up to the projector and the desktop or whatever is being displayed on the big screen. But once Keynote starts the slideshow, the laptop screen is useless. On the other hand, once the problem begins, exiting the slideshow or even ending Keynote has no effect. The MacBook screen remains distorted and unusable until the computer is physically disconnected from the projector. Uh, it's possible this happened with my upgrade to Snow Leopard, but I can't say for sure. All I know is I didn't used to have this problem with this machine. I'm using Keynote 09 and have been for longer than I've had this problem. I think it's the same projector mm-hmm. I've used all along, but I could be wrong about that. The projector isn't mine. Okay. You want to you want to start with this one, John, or should I tee it off? Um, you came up with well, you you want to let me start? Go ahead. I mean, I had some suggestions. I don't think they're, yeah, they're it, but but here's my initial feeling when i saw what you came up with I, I i would tend to agree with it yeah i think that the machine is in mirror display mode yep and what happens and i've seen this happen is that if you connect something um to the external you know a, a external display which would a projector would be um a lot of times what will happen is is the machine will try to come up with the lowest common denominator or t- try to uh, i've seen usually it'll try to get the internally external display, especially if it's a mirrored mode, it'll try to get them at the same resolution. And what I'm suspecting is that the resolution that, uh, because I believe the capabilities of the internal and the external screen are not always identical, depending on the, the MacBook that you have. So I'm wondering if it's trying to, if it's syncing up a resolution on the external one, that the internal one, it either gets stretched or distorted or, or, or whatever. Um, so I would just go to displays and just verify. Once you connect the projector, you go to displays, um, I believe right in the display screen, there should be a checkbox that says mirror displays. Make sure that's yeah, not checked. That's right. Yeah, it's in the lower left-hand corner. I think, you know, I, I can check here. I, I think it only shows up once you have a, a display yes. connected. 
Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, it'll show up under the arrangement tab, which is only there if you have more than one display that your Mac sees. But uh, but yeah, unchecking that box. I it, you know, the one weird thing is that it this happens. He says it happens only after he starts keynote and presentation mode. But what I'm thinking is that he's in mirrored mode and then the keynote presentation might be 1024 or 800 by 600 or something. And it's actually shifting the resolution of the main screen. Mm-hmm. And and then that's causing whatever problem, whatever problem he's seeing here. Uh, so. Right, because I've seen that is that typically, yeah, Keynote will ask you to define the size of your uh, presentation. Right. Which, um, if it's beyond the capabilities of a screen, could, you know, lead to, to or I think it leads to this real kind of scro- scrolling behavior where you don't see the whole thing, but if you put the cursor on, you know, right. one of the edges, it'll it'll scroll it in there. The, the only other thing I could suggest, and just to look at these, I'm not quite sure what combination of things will get it to work right, but in Keynote, I noticed two places where you can... Um, define this and and i think he stated he's using presenter mode or presenter display yep um there's keynote preferences slideshow and then present on primary or secondary display and it's a radio button i would just see what that's set to and i don't know you know change it assuming you're not in mirror mode or even if you are that's one place to look and then there's also keynote preferences presenter display and i think this is just a checkbox use alternate display to view presenter information right so there are two places to look, uh, you know, and, and try all combinations of those, you know, in, in addition to, to verifying that you're not in mirrored mode. Um, and you may stumble across the, the, the right combination. Yeah, the magic answer will be there somewhere. I mean, you could also talk, I mean, maybe the prefs got corrupted and whatever they're, they're telling one or the other display. Uh, it sounds like Keynote sometimes takes uh, control of the display. You, you, you could toss, you know, the prefs, see if that fixes things. Yeah. That was a good, good yeah, for fallback. Sure. <laughs> for sure. All right, Bob has a sick Mac Mini. Let's uh, let's hear about this. Hi, John and Dave, Bob and Santa Barbara. I've got a big problem this time. Uh, I have a Mac Mini, the first one that ever came out. Well, the first generation that ever came out, I think. And it doesn't start anymore. It started acting up. Things that it usually does, and it act up. And um, I forget all the messages that we got, but right now. We don't put a disk in. It starts up when we get a circle with a slash mark through it, like do not enter. And a little spinning um, um, United Technologies symbol just keeps spinning around the bottom. I try starting up from Mac OS X uh, Leopard and hold down the C or C and D keys. Try both of them. Nothing, nada. It will eject the disk, though, if we hold the um, mouse button down trying to start. also have Tech Tool Deluxe. Wouldn't start from that either. And I tried zapping the pram, the parameter RAM, command option P and R, let it ring three times. Also, we've got the funny tone from this thing, like, beep. You know, that's not a good tone. And so I'm stuck. Right now I unplugged the computer thinking that if we drain all the power out of it, that maybe that'll help. This is the time when the computer gets opened up, is that right? And something gets reset inside. Uh, Here's where you cut me off my email address. Okay, thanks, Bob. Uh, so I uh, don't believe that computer has what's called the the CUDA reset or the the, the motherboard reset switch, right. right? Some of them do, and if they do, it's a little circular red button somewhere on the motherboard. But uh, but not every Mac has it. 
and I don't believe newer Macs do. It was kind of a, an older thing, perhaps mm-hmm. ended in the, with the power PC days, but there might be some Intel Macs with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, so we, we did have the opportunity to email back and forth a little bit with Bob. The first thing that I thought to, to do it kind of along the lines of Bob's or power, you know, uh, reset button would be to do what's called the PMU reset or the power management unit reset. Uh-huh. And, and we'll put a link in the show notes of how to do this. But in general with the Mac mini, it's you unplug all the cables, you wait 10 seconds, you plug in the power cord while simultaneously pressing and holding the power button. Then you let go of the power button. Then you press it again. And that starts it up with a fully reset power management unit. And that brought the machine to life. So that's a good thing. Uh, the problem was once Bob got it up and running, he did some other things and started getting kernel panic screens. And now uh, it won't boot, but in a different way. And I, you know, my gut on this says that, well, my gut says there's a hardware problem, but, but I think it might be a simple hardware problem. And I think it might just be a battery uh, assuming that there's a battery in one of, in this computer and there's not a battery in every computer. However, our own Mr. John F. Braun did some research and. Uh, yes. So as, as I, I reviewed the question in my mind and we were looking at the notes here, I seem to recall him saying he has one of the first Mac minis. That's right. And if you've been around as long as Dave and I have, you would recall that the first Mac mini was not an Intel, but a power PC. And I found an article, so did the Google Foo, and I found an article at iFixit, Dave, and the title of the article is Installing Mac Mini Peren Power PC PRAM Battery. So that machine, so I'm almost positive that that's the problem because I, I would guess that this machine, and I'm looking at, uh, I can't see a date on this article, but a lot of these batteries, like the, the, the effective lifetime, I would say five years maybe from what I've seen, or, or at least my experience with the machines that I use. You know, they got old enough for this. You know, it's one of these little button cells that I think are, you know, 3.6 volt button cells, you know, CR yeah. something battery. CR2032s. Probably, yeah, or something similar. So, um, and I think they're 3.6 volts. I'm not sure. Uh, whatever. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Um, this article confirmed to me that this, that the very first Mac minis, or at least the power, or one of the PowerPC Mac minis, does in fact have a PRAM battery. So I'm going to guess with 99 percent certainty that this battery is shot yeah now, it's bad news acting that way I, i've had machines and you know i've had i've seen batteries die in, in my own machines and you know over the years in client machines both on the windows side and on the mac side and the one thing i can say about batteries dying is there is nothing consistent about the behavior of one machine to the next when that battery goes some machines won't even start i mean it won't even turn on it will, it'll act like the power supply is dead some it's you know you get wacky things happening like bob sometimes they shut off in the middle of doing whatever you're doing uh but you know mm-hmm. the the reality is it's not good it's pretty darn cheap to replace it um yeah i guess you're right in the in the 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 on the it's probably not the cr2032 the 2032 is the little flat disc uh but on the mac we were using the little kind of the little uh no this is a flat one it is a flat. Oh, it is the flat one. Okay. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, okay. uh, I, f- I fix it. I mean, we love those guys. Or at oh least yeah. I, love them. I think you do too. No, yeah. they, they actually have a, a shot here and it is one okay. of the, the button cell batteries. Okay. Okay. Cause I, cause I know for years we, you know, on the Mac, we had those little lithium, uh, that they were, they looked like, you know, like a third of a double a battery, mm-hmm. they were, but they were, you know, thick and round kind of, kind of chunky little batteries. But, uh, but yeah, the little flat ones are even easier to deal with. 
Cool. Well, hopefully so, that helps, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to send him the article. The only thing is that they do uh, now you'll have to decide how to do this. I mean, on the, on this article, they indicate that the difficulty is moderate on this. So, yeah. so if you're comfortable, so, so if he's comfortable getting into the machine, the thing is, um, as far as I know, uh, you know, we'll link to this article. You can buy all the parts that you need, uh, which is the, one of the nice things I think about iFixit, is that not only do they give you the articles, and, you know, they're not paying me to say this. I've, I've just had success with them in the past. You know, when I had my disaster with my machine, they sold me a kit with all the parts I needed, including, you know. I was um, going to say, including, including tools. The tools. Yeah. Right. So they have here an article, and I'm sure they're going to sell you all the parts that you need. You know, the, 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 the worst one is that you need the putty knife. A lot of the early IMAX up until the current one, you needed a putty knife to pry the darn thing open because they didn't make it easy. So I think that'll do it for him. Um, and then he may want to, after he puts this in here, just for good measure, reset the PRAM, reset the power management unit just to get the machine, you know, in a good state. Now, now there were a few other, I don't know if we want to, you know, cause he, he indicated a, a few other things happening. I don't yeah. know if it's, it's worth uh, covering some other approaches here. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. I mean, some of the other things I thought, so what he saw, so, so uh, the circle with the line through it, um, based on what I understand, that means I can't find a device that I want to boot from. Now, now the PRAM being corrupted could certainly cause that. Of course. I think it is on some machines, and I think this one, the boot device is one of the things that the, is stored in the PRAM, or maybe not, maybe it's somewhere else. Um, so one thing that you could do with any Mac, even this one here, is if you hold down the... So a lot of times the Mac has burned into it, the device that it thinks it's going to start from. Right. Um, if you hold down the Alt key on, on pretty much any Mac, it will do an exhaustive search of everything connected to it and show you all of the possible devices you can boot from. Now, sometimes this takes a while. I mean, it takes its sweet time. Like on my G5, it may sometimes take a minute or more for it to conclude that it's done with this operation. But once it does, it's through every device that it eligible worth a valid boot partition um say say that again john we had a little skype hiccup on you so it, it, it's okay. something about every device that was just that last little bit well just every every device that has a, a every bootable device will show up um though, though it may take a while you may see the and right. like on my g5 i'll see the watch spinning maybe for a minute or maybe a minute and a half or two minutes before it's concluded okay i've done an exhaustive search of everything that i can possibly boot from and here are your choices and please pick one so that may be, that's, I think, one thing to do when your machine is coming up saying, I, I can't boot. Because uh, sometimes they get confused and they may default. I think they usually default to netboot, a lot of machines. If, if they can't, you know, or, or they, they don't know what to boot from, they'll try to default to that. And that usually doesn't work unless you're set up for that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, then there were tones, too. I, I, I don't know what that long tone means. I mean, there are some tones that, that usually mean there's a memory problem. The, the, the one long tone, that... I don't know if you know what that means. You, you were saying before that the only time you've heard it was during the uh, the firmware update. And I, I remember that. Um, when it thinks it needs a firmware update. Yeah. I mean, you'll yeah. hear that tone and then you'll see a little progress bar. I, again, I think, you know, PRAM. Remember when the when the battery goes bad, the PRAM and, and perhaps more. Right. The, perhaps the whole power management unit. It, it gets corrupted. It's not that it just forgets its settings. It's that, you know, especially if there's a battery that's not quite dead and it's still trickling a little power to it, that can cause more trouble than, you know, than a dead battery uh, just because it's, it's constantly corrupting this, this, this little parameter rim, the flash rim that's in there. So, uh, you know, I, I think anything's possible. That long beep may very well have been the computer thinking, oh yeah, it's time for a firmware update when in fact mm -hmm. nothing of the sort was the case. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, and there are other beeps that you can hear, but typically what those mean, I, I think for the most part, those mean that I don't like the RAM that's in me or I, I, your RAM configuration is something I, I, I'm not really happy about. Right, so, um, right. Yeah, but, right. but I think, uh, I, I, again, I think I do, we're going to rush the, uh, after we're done with the show, I'm going to rush this battery thing off to him, and I think he's going to be uh, happy. Cool. Cool. All right. You know, let's uh, let's take a moment here and talk about contact information, how to contact us. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the email address to which you can send text, audio, video if you want, pictures and really just about anything else. Uh, it works very well. You can even record an audio on your iPhone or iPod touch and send it to that address and then we can play it right here on the show and that is oh, oh. feedback at macgeekgab.com prayer, it's feedback at <laughs> macgeekgab.com oh that's right. i forgot about the accent the new <laughs> that's right feedback I get some new at macgeekgab.com that's right yeah that that's one another one dave you know 206 666 geek which is 4335 and you can call us, and, and that's how uh, I believe Bob's audio comment came in through that. Sounds okay. It's not great quality, but it's certainly, uh, you know, audible and legible and all of the other Ible stuff. It might even be dirigible, if that makes any sense. No, it doesn't. Huh? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's, it's audible, legible, and dirigible. They're all related. Uh, yeah. Skype to Mac Geek Gab, and uh, you, can, uh, you can leave us iTunes comments, even though we can't reply. So yeah, it's, uh, that's the, that's the place to go. Should we, uh, should we do this one last question or is it time to jump to follow-ups, John? What do you think? Um, I, I, I'm going to go for follow-ups. Okay, we'll cool. We'll save that for another time. Yeah. All right, fine. So we talked last time about text editors, uh, and, we, and then we had, we, we invoked the Holy War and we got lots of comments about that. We might play one of them later, but, uh, but for now, uh, we're talking about plain, uh, the text edit. And uh, and we got a couple of comments here. Scott uh, starts to kind of pull them all together, and then we'll uh, we'll 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 take it from there. Hi, John and Dave. This is Scott in D.C. I have a minor correction finger wag for your uh, for your last podcast number two sixty nine. Uh, a ton of cool stuff found, and in addition, first the finger wag. I'm very surprised, especially you. John, that you didn't know that in text edit, if you go to the top menu and click on format, you will see a button and an option that says make plain text. If you select that to make plain text, it will make a plain text file. You could turn it back on by going back to the format menu item and it now says make rich text and you can make a rich text file. That's my finger wag. All right. And then Scott has another thing to add, but I, I want to point out here, let's talk about this and then we'll talk about the next part of this. Um, you can also do this in the preferences menu as our own John Martellaro pointed out. Yes. Yep. If you go to text edit preferences, you can set the default behavior for a new document uh, out of the box. It's, it's rich text, but you can, you can change that so that all new documents that you open in, uh, text edit mm -hmm. are new, uh, you know, are, are just regular text and not rich text. So, yeah, that's possible. But the weird thing, John, is well, that when I go to file save as, how come it doesn't give me one option versus the other? How come I only get 
rich text or plain text, and, but not both. And that's and that's my reply. So number one, I don't know why Scott and his dog are ganging up on me because you agreed <laughs> yes. with me. Well, it, I remember I said because they, they should. Scott gangs up on me a lot. So, you know, I think he's that's just spreading it's my turn. That's but right. no, I remember when I said this and, and you, you may not have been listening to me. I mean, I usually don't listen to you, but I don't think you were listening to me because when I said I couldn't write a plain text file and text edit, you were like, oh, yeah. No, I, I thought I agreed with you. I didn't. Uh, because uh, neither yeah. you were, and, and uh, as you mentioned, uh, I, uh, I'm going to finger wag Apple because to me, that is a horrible, horrible way of, uh, of uh, allowing or, or it's a what bad you said, UI. Dave, it's save, a bad UI. save as should give you the option. I mean, the thing is, I'm used to this from, you know, Word. Yeah. And, you know, I think even even a WordPad or Notepad in, a, in, in, a, in Windows. But for them to hide this in the format menu or in the preferences and not offer it as an option where I would expect it to be. Yeah. When you're deciding to save it would be to save, you know, because, for example, Dave, you, you know what? And, and this was suggested as, as a nicer editor, though, though I didn't think of using this initially. Um, you know, BB Edit. It's kind of smart enough when you put because yeah, this was another thing I tried because I was thinking, you know, maybe text that is like BB edit. So what I did is when I tried to save this file, I said, well, save this blah, 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 dot TXT. I thought that would be a hint to text edit saying, you know what? Can you please write this out as a plain text file? And it came up and said, whoa, 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 you can't have a dot RDF dot TXT file. You got to make a decision. And I'm like, what? Yeah. It's like, no. Uh, so. Yeah, I'm I'm going to I'm going to relay Scott's finger wag over to Apple and, and say that that's a poor interface. And for you to dig either in the format menu or in the preferences in order to get it, save a text file is is it's wacky. I never knew wacky. it was there. I, but the thing is, uh, it's old John brought it up because my yeah. expectation from using text at a time and time again is that this is a text editor that writes out RDF files. That's what it does. That's right. That's right. I just concluded if you wanted something that deals with TXT, TXT files, you either get word or bb edit or or something else or you do it from you know your favorite you know uh you know unix what, editor what? either emacs or vi all right well and and now let's let scott uh kind of help with that's a perfect lead yes. into the second half of his question for comment. an additional item the little brother to bb edit text wrangler is a very nice editor and it's free uh, it does do some of the things that BB Edit does, but not you know, all the syntax matching. But it will do the highlighting of various languages, including HTML and CSS and all those other fun items. So your listeners may want to check out cool. Text Wrangler from the same people who make BB Edit. I'll see you later. Bye. All right, and we'll and we'll we'll roll right into Coder Kev's comment here because uh, that it follows up Text Wrangler perfectly. Hi, John. Hi, Dave. I just got finished listening to your last cool stuff found uh, podcast, and I wanted to let you know that uh, Bare Bones BB Edit uh, also makes the the Text Wrangler, as you know, which is the free version. And it also will respond to the uh, command line edit command um, so that if you're in the terminal, you can say edit and a file name, and it will pop up in Text Wrangler. Um, that's all I have. Uh, this is Coder Kev. You know where I'm at on Twitter. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks, Kev. You know, and and I always forget about Text Wrangler because I, I have BB Edit. But, yeah, Text Wrangler is free. 
it does most of what anybody's going to want in, in a, in a very general sense. Right. I mean, it, you know, it does, like he says, it's not going to do uh, all those languages, but it does HTML. Uh, and it has this, I didn't, I, I, maybe I know it, maybe I didn't, I don't, I don't recall, but, uh, it, it has this edit command from the terminal. So just go get that. It, it's going to make editing files from the terminal much easier for you uh, than, than having to deal with any of these other arcane things. So yeah, it's, it's, hmm. it, it's a great thing to have on your machine. Now, you know, I'm, I'm, now I'm surprised that uh, if I had to guess yeah. if Scott is an Emacs or a VI type of guy, I'm, I, I would almost bet that he's a VI type of guy. Wow. Yeah, I don't I don't. Uh, yeah, actually, I would I would bet that Scott's a VI guy knowing how far back he goes. Yeah. Plus, he probably yeah. hates Richard Stallman. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, Richard wrote Emacs. So there you go. Right. You know, well, I mean, my only recollection is that Emacs is like the kitchen sink of editors. Is it, it, It's not just an editor. I, I think they even have a compiler built in there. Seriously. It, it, it's <laughs> yeah, it's, a, right. it, it's right. a pig. It yeah, is. It I mean, is. VI is very minimalist, but, but uh, too, too minimal for me. Emacs, yeah. as I mentioned, I used to do lots of you know pretty sophisticated text macros and uh and it could do that along with uh i think it even has a game built into it you know like a, a you know space invaders or something right really? easter eggs buried in it too yeah, really? stuff, but, uh, should, should we play bruce's com- i think it's i think it's almost appropriate now to play sure. bruce's comment all right we're gonna we're gonna let this roll we get a lot of comments like this that we keep out of the show but bruce's this is just infectious here so if you're not part of the uh, text editor Holy Wars, this will be like your 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 two minutes to be a part of it. And you'll, you'll be a part of it like four seconds in. And then as soon as it's over, you can release it. But you'll be you'll, you'll love it. You'll love it. Trust me on this. Hey, John and Dave, this is Mr. Gadgets. It's uh, Bruce here in Kansas City. And uh, I just want to call up and tell you how much I've been enjoying listening to the Mad Geek Gab over the last few weeks. And uh, I had uh, run across your podcast and have been listening to it on a regular basis for, oh, I guess a couple months now. First time to call in, which is what I do. And, of course, the thing that got me motivated to actually call in was not just the normal excellent show, but, of course, the religious wars. I didn't bring it up. You guys did. Okay. (laughs) So I don't know when you first got introduced to the editors on the uh, Unix side of things. Uh, My first experience was way back in the 80s. Really, officially, we won't count some of the Unix-like things that I used back in the 70s, but uh, on microcomputers, mind you, but in the 80s. And uh, gosh, what can I say? You know, it's funny that you should mention how do you get out of it, okay? This is the thing that always maddened me about Emacs, is I could figure out how to open it up. I could figure out how to, you know, obviously type some text into the file and write my lines of code, but I could not, for the life of me, figure out how to save the file and get out of Emacs without, you know, actually going into another terminal window and doing a kill. Emacs, kind of important, right? You know, you do need to be able to save file after you've edited it. Seriously. Oh, you just control X, control C. And it's just, you know, the thing that drove me crazy about Emacs finally fell into place when years later I found out that Richard Stallman wrote the original Emacs. And everything suddenly made sense, okay? <laughs> uh, OS by, yes, it's modal, 
But, you know, uh, I guess you fundamentally just warp your mind to whichever program it is you're used to using. And I, you know, still to this day, I just have to sit down and kind of, like you said, not think about it. And I can still do things in Vi. Of course, colon Q, right? Colon to get uh, into that mode where you put in those kinds of commands in Q. One time, and then I'll let you guys go, one time in my entire life, could I actually make use of that? It's kind of left over from Ed, which by is really kind of the command line editor, you know, brought into a full screen editor. And, oh, by the way, I think it's what kind of machine and what class machine you were on. At least back in the day, uh, a lot of people were either, if it was a slow connection and a, and a machine that didn't have as much horsepower, or if you were on your own little microcomputer, running uh, Unix or Xenix or something like that, you tended to be a Vi person. The only people who liked Emacs uh, were people who were time-sharing on to a, uh, you know, Sperry Univac or some other big university system that had a lot of oomph behind it because you needed more oomph for Emacs, even though it was character-based. I know that doesn't make much sense. Anyway, one time in my life that I could actually use the function that you have in Vi to search for one thing on the line, but then replace something else in the line with whatever it is you wanted to replace. And one time, I think, I actually came up with a use for that where I was searching for one thing in the line, and then I wanted to replace something else in the line with something new. Anyway, this is the great religious chasm of the <laughs> Star IX world. A lot of people in the graphical side of things don't realize it, but you know, you're you're either a Emacs guy or you're a Vi guy, and I'm surprised you guys get along so well, since each of you is from that different camp. Well, we're both Mac guys, so you know it's okay. We've got uh, and there's we've got, Unix we've there. Got, we've got and there actually there is Unix there. That's right. Uh, What's the, the what? What is uh, what do people have against Richard? I mean, I I, I know some of the things he worked on, but uh, but again, I, I think I see the general feeling about him because uh, I, I just typed his name into the. Uh, Google search bar on Safari. Yeah. And the second line uh, for suggestions is Richard Stallman is an idiot. So apparently some people have strong feelings about some of the things that he's done. I, I, <laughs> I haven't had a whole lot of interaction. Uh, and I, I have to, actually have had no interaction with Richard Stallman, but I haven't had occasion to to get involved in any of the the kind of debates that he's been in, but I think it's, I think there's a personality thing with him where you either kind of, you're either with him or you're not. uh, And, and, you know, nobody falls in in the middle. So, uh, well, I guess the GNU, I I guess he's known for GNU and uh, yeah. yeah, So maybe having strong feelings about free software and all that may, yeah, and and again, uh, it it sounds like he's, uh, but, but, but it sounds like someone who's, who's done uh, contributed enough that he's entitled to have a personality. Absolutely. Whatever. Absolutely. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. So, uh, all right. Uh, we have uh, we have one more bit of adv- uh, advice to share. And, and, and for the record, that will, at least for a while now, be the last that we share on the show here about the uh, Unix Holy Wars. But, uh, but I thought that was a, a good way to sort of cap that off. I know we started that discussion mm-hmm. last episode, so we figured we'd... We just wrap well, it up to Bruce's here. point, actually, we did when I was working on it. So it was on a Prime machine, which was uh, well, it was his own weird, yeah, operating system, Primos, I think it was called. But we actually had a uh, Unix uh, or Emacs cheat sheet on the wall, yeah, because it had so many incredibly bizarre, you know, triple and quadruple, you know, key combinations that you needed a cheat sheet to uh, to to keep track of 
you know, like like he said, I mean, I burned it in my brain. Control X, Control C. To a lot of people, that makes absolutely no sense. So right, well, it doesn't make sense until it does, or until you just memorize it and you just 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 you uh, just accept it. Yeah, right. All right, so let's uh, let's move on to some. We we talked about formatting uh, or, or erasing pictures from <sighs> an SD card, and and Neil had some advice for us, so uh, we wanted to share that with everybody. Hi, Dave and John. This is Neil in Boston. On recent Mac Geek Gab 263, you had a question about deleting files from compact flash cards and pointed out the need to empty the trash, including possibly the trash from multiple users, which should solve the questioner's problem of having room on the card. However, many photographers believe that moving cards between devices like this can lead to ultimate file corruption and that best practice is to reformat the card in camera each time, start taking pictures with a fresh, clean, newly formatted card, will reduce the chance of having corruption on the card. Anyway, hope that's helpful to some listeners. I appreciate the show. Thank you. Thanks, Neil. That's uh, that's probably, well, it's certainly not bad advice. Uh, I... I used to do that quite a bit just because I know that, you know, some different cameras store files in different folders. And so the card can get kind of mucked up. And uh, and if you know you're starting from scratch, just go ahead and wipe it out. And that way you, the camera has exactly and only what it wants on the card. Yeah. And I, I ran into this actually with uh, with my maybe not my current phone, but the prior phone, which uh, had, you know, I guess a micro SD card. Yep. No, maybe the current. No, it was the prior phone. I think it was a V seven ten Motorola release V seven ten. Yeah. So I would, you know, it had a camera, not a great camera like most cell phones. Um, and I would take the card out, put it in a little adapter, and plug it into my computer to pull the pictures off. Because uh, I think that phone they crippled the Bluetooth, so you couldn't suck the files off. And what happened is, after I put it in the computer, uh, the Mac, I would then put it back in the phone, turn on the phone, the phone would wedge, it would lock up, and I'm like, what the. Here is the problem, and, and this is kind of a finger wag at Apple. Um, when you put something in the computer, Dave, or at least, uh, you know, last I checked, Apple likes to sprinkle these .ds underscore store files. Right. Which you normally don't know that that's happening because it's a .ds underscore store file, and that's normally not visible. However, and, you know, it maintains some, you know, Windows-specific, I think, finder information, Um and it's probably not necessary, but what happened is because this was a file that this particular phone did not expect or either or, or was unable to parse. So I guess whatever whatever code they had in the phone that dealt with the file system, as soon as it saw a period, it was like, I don't know what this is. I better lock up. <laughs> right. And that's what it did. It, 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 it expected a very rigid file structure on the phone. Uh, you know, a folder called this, a folder called that, a folder called that. Um, I think it was FAT32, which, which, you know, most of these cards are, I guess, or, you know, some version of FAT. But no, I, I've seen this. The, the, the only way, actually, somebody came up with a utility that would scrub the card of .ds store and other things in response to this problem. It would just leave the stuff on the card that, that uh, you know, were normal folders and file names, and then everything was great. But, yep. um, but yeah, if you want to, uh, I agree. If you, if you want something, to, I, I personally haven't seen that problem, again, except with, you know, very constrained devices like phones. Right. I mean, none of the cameras I work with have ever gotten upset at what I put in there. They would just kind of go to the folder. Yep. You know, it usually has a certain name, DCI or whatever, you know, based on the vendor and, uh, and everything's great. But, yep. uh, 
Cool. Well, I wanted to, uh, to we, we started the show with a sponsor. We'll end the show with a sponsor. We'll do it in a bookend fashion. We'll see how that works. And uh, we'll just keep, you know, we'd like to mix it up here just to uh, keep it interesting for you. Keep it interesting for us. And so our second sponsor for this show is Citrix with GoToAssist Express for the Mac. And really for every anything. Uh, the idea behind this is you've got a Mac somewhere else that you want to take control of. And so you can, you know, you could drive there. You could call somebody and have them be your eyes and hands. Uh, but both of those things are either time consuming or frustrating or both. And, uh, you know, much more simple to simply take control of the Mac. Now, you could use back to my Mac, but, you know, that's kind of flaky. Uh, you could try and set up a VNC connection, but that requires poking hole in the firewall. And if you've got two geeks on either end, that's fine. But chances are you don't need to take control of the Mac if there's a geek on the other end. Uh, it's usually someone that needs help. And so GoToAssist Express lets you do this by you go into an interface, you create a session, you give the person on the other end with no prior setup, you give them a URL uh, to visit in their web browser. They're brought through a series of questions that basically says, uh, are you going to let uh, this person on the other end through to your computer? As long as they say yes, bam, you are in, you're ready to go, and you can control it. They can see what you're doing. They can even stop you if they so choose. If they think, oh, no, we're done, you know, stop it, done. Uh, no problem. Uh, all of this is available at gotoassist.com slash gab. And if you visit gotoassist.com slash gab, you get a month for free. So, uh, so check it out. And, uh, I think John, that, uh, that brings us, that brings us right to where we bring the band in. I think. Indeed. Uh, you know how to get in touch with us. Or, we already, already told them how to do that. We did that too. And, uh, yep. We did our second sponsor. And I, I, I was very happy when, when you, uh, first said, Hey John, let's, let's try something new. <laughs> well, <laughs> And you connect in my computer, and uh, yeah. yeah, no, it was a very, very, very positive experience. They they, they make a nice, uh, yeah, nice piece of software. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, we are still. We posted a, an article. We'll put a link to it in the show notes here. But uh, but we are looking for that replacement at the end of the summer for Stephen, uh, who is moving off to grad school. Stephen is our webmaster here at Mac Observer. So if you have any interest, if you are a lamp person, uh, and if you don't know what lamp is, you're probably not a lamp person. I but, do. Uh, I, yeah, there you go. Uh, well, that's us, all I know. I, I just know what it stands for. <laughs> so send us uh, send us your resume, your credentials, your interest, jobs at MacObserver.com. That actually goes straight to me, but uh, it helps me kind of filter things out and keep it straight and make sure I don't lose anybody that's looking to uh, to come in uh, and perhaps work for us. So we've already gotten some great interest, uh, but uh, but I, I want to make sure we you know we 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 see everybody that's interested before we uh, before we make a decision here. So. Check that article out. It explains a little bit more about what we're doing. But uh, I think in general, most of the listeners to the podcast know what we've got going on. So, uh, yeah. Michael so. Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast converts this to AAC for you. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com provides all the bandwidth. And the podcast marketplace includes the A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo and, Bear, and BB Edit from Barebone Software, Text Expander and Disc Label from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, gazelle.com for all of your old hardware recycling and selling needs and go to assist.com slash gab from Citrix all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. Anything else we have to add here before we move on, John? Hmm. 
Uh, this is a busy week, Dave. I know we got three. Not one, to not do. one, not two, but three. I'm well, we're be- also crossing into July, right? I think that's what did it. Yeah. So we've got a, a premium show, and thank you for all of you that are premium subscribers. And if you're not, consider joining us. Twenty five bucks, six months. You uh, get two, at least two extra episodes of the Geek Cab every month, and uh, and a different way to contact us, and access to the archives, and that good feeling you get from uh, directly mm. supporting <laughs> your two favorite geeks. So uh, check that out at uh, MattGeekGab.com. So, yeah, we've got a premium show to record on Wednesday and then uh, another regular show, I think, on, on Friday that we're doing. Because there's, oh, because Monday's July 4th. That's why we're doing that. Uh, that's what we're doing. I knew there was a method to our madness. I just couldn't remember what it was. All right. Well, so we're that, not doing right. So All right. Right, right, right. And, and this is or July uh, 5th, I guess, is Monday. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Yeah. And all I can say is July 4th, Dave, you know what people do. I do. Well, most people set off explosives and pyrotechnics and, um, and depending on what state you're in, Dave, you may not want to get caught with fireworks. Yeah. Made up.